Hey everybody, this is Keith Rainwater, your designated drummer today. Welcome to the podcast. And I have with me today a guy that I have been one to interview ever since I started this podcast, Joe Smith with Sawyer Brown. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I'm excited to be here and I'm glad to have a designated drummer. That's right. Yeah. And now I have to explain where that, that term came from. Uh, Every once in a while on the bus before the show, the guys will say, hey, let's have a celebratory toast before the show and let's just have a little, you know, a little drink. And I would say something like, well, I can't because, you know, I'm, I'm a lightweight anyway. I can't drink. I can't drink and not affect me. So I would just tell them that I'm the designated drummer. I have to. <laughs> I love that. To, hey, that just kind of stuck. So when yeah, it came that's time a, to. Well, and it's a great thing because you're right. You know, I don't even drink coffee before a show because I oh, want to be just like dead super on normal. focused yes yeah, just yeah. normal I don't want to be amped up I don't want to be counting tempos off too fast or anything like that right yeah. I've had that happen before yeah. where I had a little too much coffee yeah. and when we weren't now nowadays we play with the click mostly most mm-hmm. of the songs are with the click but there have been times when uh, we didn't have the click where it's just like man he's cooking through those songs <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. he must have had too much coffee but uh, so I just want to talk a little now you have been with Sawyer Brown since the beginning, and I first heard of you guys in 1982 when you were on Star Search. And I, I was telling you this story earlier, but I want to share it with our listeners. When I was 19 years old, I, the first band I was ever in, our agent made us sit down and watch this videotape of this band from Dallas, where we were from, that we knew this band. They were called Dallas, and they were one of the hottest bands in the area. They played cover music and all that, and so they said they're going to, you know, they're going to be on there. But they're against this band called Sawyer Brown, and I want to show you why Sawyer Brown is the winner in this. I want you to watch both, you know, performances, and you tell me. And we watched Dallas, and they they sounded good, you know, so like, oh, man, that's our boys. And then you guys came on, and it was like, you know, Mark Miller's dancing around, and it was just like, it was like a, like a, I don't know, like a, you're watching a movie or something. It was just amazing. Well, you know, I, I do, and they were a great band. Those guys were, we were big fans of theirs, and we'd come to Dallas and hang out with them, and uh, they were like a, like lover boy or yeah, something. Right. They were really yeah. great musicians. Um, I think from the very beginning, when we were playing clubs, we just really quickly found out, you know, we can be a jukebox, and we were playing, you know, mostly cover songs when we started, you know, four, six nights a week. Um, but we found that, you know, if you get a little more uh, entertaining, people are, you're grabbing people. Yeah, visually you know? and yeah. everything. Just and we, and we've always, yeah, and we've always been that way. I mean, you know, we always feel like we don't, we don't take ourselves serious, but we take what we do seriously. So, I mean, we go out and we always have thought, if you don't go out and somebody in the audience says, that's the best show I've ever seen, you've lost a customer. Right. right, you've lost a customer. So, so you know, and we'll go out even now and do some of these four, four day, country festivals in you know Wisconsin or out west, and and somebody will come up afterwards with tears in their eyes and go, "That's the best show I've seen all weekend." And I'm like, "Really? Seriously, dude? I mean, we it's been 35 years. Right. Hasn't anybody come along that's that's more entertaining?" Yeah. And and so yeah, I mean, I think. We, you know, it hasn't been a fake thing. I mean, it's just been the kind of thing like we go out there and it, it has to be an event, you know, yeah. and it's not planned. It's not like there's confetti bombs yeah. and pyro and that stuff. Right. It's just, yeah, we go out and, and do it. And uh, and thank you. Yeah, but that's that was a great time. Uh, that was 1983-84, I think, uh, when we were on Star Search. Oh, yeah. wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, and you were the original drummer you were the founding drummer with that band yes we we've done just i think it's been we started in 81 uh 1981 i graduated from grad school at university of miami florida and i wasn't gonna move home i could have you know mm-hmm. and i didn't move home which was portland maine which is 100 miles northeast of boston um didn't want to move to new york didn't want to move to la and it was like i came to nashville on a conference and loved it yeah, and and my cousin was in town. He was Marty Robbins' band leader. Okay, so right. uh, I, I checked out his place, and I was like, 
I could move here. So yeah. came up to here when I graduated, and within a week met all the guys I still work with 40 years later. Oh, we dang. Yeah, yeah. So, so went down to the union, hung a card on the wall, on the bulletin board, and said available, new to town. And in a couple of days, I got a call. And yeah. it was from a guy whose son was on CBS Epic Records. And uh, I came in to play for the summer. And, um, you know, our piano player came in to play piano. Our bass player and first guitar player were there. Mm -hmm. And Mark, our singer, was tuning guitars and washing the bus for $150 a week. <laughs> so that's we all met and we that's all stayed right. friends. And, oh and uh, the next year in 82, we, we said, hey, we're, we're good friends. We get along great. Let's put a band together and see if we can make a little money. And we made very little money. Of course. Exactly <laughs> so that. Made exactly a little that. Make a little <laughs> <Very> money. <laughs> yeah, it's always hard putting a band together because nobody knows who you are and nobody really wants to extend you the respect that, that you're hoping to get. And it's just like, ah, oh, you're new. You're, you're right. probably not going to make it. You know, right. they, they look at it like, you know, you're going to fail. Well, and especially if you don't have a record deal. Right. You know, uh, if you have a record deal, people will, will talk to you. Yeah. Uh, back in those days, um, you know, we didn't have anything. Uh, we had a guy who came out and saw us at a biker bar in Nashville. And uh, it was like Tuesday night was country night. Okay. So we go in, you know, and Hobie, our piano player, is in like short tuxedo pants and, and a jacket. And, and we go in and realize it's a biker bar and we're probably going to be killed. Oh, my God. Where's, <laughs> so, where's the, 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 what is the, yeah, what the call sweet it? The, chicken the, wire. Chicken wire, chicken yeah. Wire. <laughs> so we make it through the night, but we've invited a guy out from, uh, at the time, Buddy Lee Attractions. Right. Which is like, you know, they're booking, you know, everybody. You know, Tammy Wynette, you know, uh, everybody. So, so he calls us in the next day to a meeting in his office and he says, well, you know, uh, I don't usually represent people that don't have a record deal, but, you know, you guys got something going on. You know, do you have a sound system? We said, oh, yeah, we got a great sound system. He said, well, do you have lights? And I, oh, yeah, we got great lights. And Did you said, have them or were you just saying No, that? we were lying through our teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you have oh, a, yeah, we you got have transportation. All that. We had a station wagon in my van. Yeah, we oh, got right. transportation. Yeah, we, yeah, you we know? got a bus, and, kind of. And he sent us down to uh, 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 Corinth, Mississippi, midweek. They'd fired the band at the Ramada Inn. And we went down and just did a great job for the club owner. And he called Nashville and said, these guys, I want them as much as you can get them here. And, and that's where it started, you know. Wow. But it was just, you know, talk about getting from step A to step B. Well, we yeah. lied. We lied. What label were you guys originally on? We got signed after Star Search. Um, before Star Search, we had done some showcases in Nashville and um, now this is right at the end of the urban cowboy movement. Of course, right? yeah. So so the honky tonks are closing. They're selling off the mechanical bulls. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. And you know Nashville hasn't been a, a town that has historically uh, thought outside the box. Right, right. They're pretty by rote. Right. So so they'd come out to see us and say, uh, ah, you guys, uh, you're too young. You you jump around too much. You don't wear cowboy hats. And we're like. Really? Seriously? <laughs> so so we, our manager that I spoke of earlier, uh, was acting as a manager. He said, uh, guys, there's a, a, a call, a, an agency call uh, for you to go down and, and do this talent uh, uh, thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, they'll, they'll videotape you. And videotape was getting popular. Right. So, so um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you get a videotape out of it, and we can use it to book you in more clubs. So we're two weeks in a town, a day off to go through Nashville, and then two weeks in the next town. So our first year, we played like um, uh, 315 nights. God, the first year. Yeah, so we, we came through town once every couple of weeks. And it was on one of those days, and we were like, oh, seriously? We won't see our wives. You know, we got to go down there and do this thing. So we go down, and then we find out it's a Star Search agency call. Oh. And, and there's, you know, twins, and there's people going to, you know, twirl batons, and, you know, and people in spangly outfits. And we we're like, oh, man, we have, we have wasted our day off to be here. So we went in and just totally goofed off. We were part upset, part blowing it off. And 
sang a song, you know, lip synced a song, knocked over the drums and the, and the microphone stands. Oh my gosh. It probably looks like a, <laughs> a, a cheap, you know, the Who on on cheap or something. Oh, yeah. So so we get a call like three days later. They sent the tape to LA and the, the producers and directors are like, where have these guys been? You know, th- this is what we need. We need to make the category stronger. And they were looking for groups and uh, get them. So we were like, we can cancel two weeks in a really awful town uh, and go do yeah. go to L.A., come on. And yeah. like, and you get per diem, we're like, what's that? What's per diem? <laughs> what's per diem? What <laughs> and we didn't know anything. <laughs> so, you know, but we went out there, and then the night before the last episode, it was like, hey, we could win. We could win this thing. We're on the last, you know, the last night. And, and that happened. Did but- y'all do the same song every time you... Competed. It was different. Was it, it, was a different, different it was different songs. Yeah, okay. yeah, different songs, and we had some great, you know, great people. People that had record deals mm-hmm. that were up, we were up against, and uh, and yeah, that was the thing that you know I, I always said that we hoped we would get to where we were, but Star Search accelerated that yeah, process. Right. You know, and they said, you know, fifty million people watched the final episode. In Nashville, it was on at 11 p.m. after the Rockford Fire rerun, so it wasn't prime time. <laughs> My hometown, it was eight o'clock Saturday night, wow. so everybody uh, knew the band. When we went to Maine and played the Civic Center with Kenny Rogers, oh my God. people, the band was freaking out, going, "Wow, these people know who we are." And I'm like, "Yeah, they do. You know, they've been home watching for 12 weeks of, of TV." That's but awesome. a year after that, we signed a record deal, you know. Uh, but all the Nashville labels had turned us down, and then you know. Uh, RCN in LA is calling Nashville going, why didn't you tell us about these guys? So then we'd go back to the hotel on Sunset Boulevard and, uh, you know, there'd be fruit baskets and bottles of champagne saying, from your friends at RCA Records. You know? right, yeah. <laughs> and then they tried to get us. But we signed with uh, Curb Records and Capitol Records. That's great. So, yeah, so that's where we stayed for the whole time. And it was, uh, now I know Ron Chancey used to produce you guys back in the day. He was did was that with, with him? That was the... Was that your first producer, or was there nope. somebody before that? We had uh, uh, Randy Scruggs oh, right. produced okay. several. Mac McAnally produced a couple. Uh, um, Ron did one record mm-hmm. with us. And, yeah, so that was about record number three or four, I think. Yeah. And we've had, I think, 23, if yeah. I count right. And, and I only knew that because Ron Chancey used to produce Canyon when I was in Canyon. He, okay. produced, uh, one, uh, he produced one record, two records, actually, the first one was Tommy Brassfield produced the first Canyon record. Second one was Ron Chansey. And the third one, there's a third Canyon album out there that never saw the light of day. That oh. was fully recorded at Muscle Shoals and the whole Ron Chansey yeah. producing all the songs, everything fully mastered, mixed, everything. And then the label 16th Avenue Records, they closed right. their doors before we got a chance to release the record. So that record never wow. made wow. it. They even, we even shot two videos for songs on that record. In two days, with uh, uh, I forget um, the director's name out there in uh, in uh, Albuquerque, um, we did two videos in two days. We did one video one day, and then another song the second day to try yes. and double up a little bit. And that was when we heard that the label was closing. When we were in the yeah. middle of doing those videos and that kind of thing. But anyway, that stuff happens, and it's a nightmare. But you, it does you, happen. Yeah. So I want to go back to your early days before Sawyer Brown, and I want I'm looking for that moment in your mind when that maybe it was an epiphany or could it have been a slow process? I don't know. But um, what, how it came about that you got that inkling of like, you know what? I think I want to do this as a career. I want to be a drummer well, a professional. It was pretty early for me. It was, it was really honestly fifth grade. Oh, really? <laughs> um, in, uh, in second grade, I remember bringing in a, a, a chemistry experiment to my teacher, and it was how to make... <laughs> um, oxygen from uh, hydrochloric acid and zinc strips oh wow and uh, and she said well young, <laughs> young joe yeah young joe we won't be working with hydrochloric acid today uh, so uh that you know i wanted to be a scientist and then by like uh third grade i was like going to be an astronaut so my best yeah. friend and i were going to be astronauts and he's still my best friend today and we go okay astronauts are going to be dizzy so we're going to get in a barrel and roll ourselves down a hill and as get training. used to being dizzy. Yeah, training, training, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we did all that stuff. And then fifth grade, I, uh, I got a pair of drumsticks and I joined the, the grade school band and never looked back. And I mean, the teacher I had was, 
had been the first trombone player for Maynard Ferguson's band. Really? Uh, and uh, I'm a, a huge Maynard Ferguson yeah, fan. I played trumpet bands, when I was yeah. in high school. So he, he was arguably at one time maybe the best trombone player in the United States or wow. the world. He was wow. just an unbelievable talent. And he got out of the business, moved back to Maine and started a jazz scene and, and had his own, had you know, taught. And, and I had a marching drum for a couple of years. And then in sixth grade, he said, you know, he told me, you pat your foot. With on four on a beat with this one, and with your left foot you do the hi hat on two and four, and play on a pot lid, and play on your snare drum or your drum pad, and uh, when you can do that, I'm going to take you into my jazz club, which he did, and put me behind a set of drums, and he did that, and it was like that was it, you know, like in front of people, like no, club, no, like, no, no, oh, just oh, I yeah, see. yeah, but then we would, you know, and and that's you know, that's where it started, and after that, there was just. That was what I was going to do. No looking back. Yeah. No looking back. Yeah. When, and awesome. that was good. I mean, that was fine. And so you, were you in some bands in high school and that kind of thing? Like bands? Yes. Like- and in high school, I would vacillate between two things. I would vacillate between guys my own age in, in the barn, you know, playing in the garage, playing in a rock band and playing like a, a high school dance for no yeah. money. And then I was also... I had a teacher who would come to my house, and he's an amazing drummer. He lives in uh, Scottsdale, teaches at Arizona State now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was uh, played the M- MGM Grand in Reno for years with the big orchestra. And he had me playing all the different beats at the time, Begin <laughs> and Rumba and Bossa Nova and everything. And I would go out. My first job was playing with an organist when I was 14 years old on New Year's Eve, you know, wow. and made $30. And he said, kid, you did a good job. I'm giving you 35. Oh, wow. I made a tip. <laughs> yeah. At the Holiday Inn at the highway exit. Oh, and yeah. so I worked with old men, but I learned all these songs and tunes that a kid my age would yeah. have never known and learned to play, you know, with small groups, horns, you know, and, and so I paid my way through four years at Berkeley wow. playing every weekend back home, playing music. Playing weddings, playing clubs, you know, and doing breakfast Dixieland gigs, yeah. you know, with a tuba player and a trombone player, whatever. Oh, and and I got to learn so much from that older generation of guys. And I know yeah. that's why you're doing this, yeah, which is right. important. Was it ever intimidating to you to be, you know, you're this young kid playing with these pros and stuff like that and things that you learned? Was it ever kind of like? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't intimidating in that in that, you know, you're young and fearless in a way. And I mean, I wasn't brash. I was pretty, pretty, you know, to myself, but, but, uh, they loved me because uh, yeah, you never have to tell Joe Smith to play too soft. You know, he's always playing just right for the, for these jobs. But then I moved to Nashville, like people would turn around going, come on, where are you? We got to play hard. You got to play hard, right? (laughs) We're in Nashville now. So I really had to go, okay, I got an 18 inch bass drum. I'm going to have to get a bigger drum kit and play harder. And, right. you know, and I learned to do the other thing. Yeah, so. Yeah, play hard. I love watching you play. It's, it's uh, really awesome. The way you have them set up, the way your cymbals are real high, and you got all the toms and everything. You've got, you're like the old school drummer that everybody wants to be. You know? Frozen in time. <laughs> yeah. I never went to the three-piece, four-piece kit, you know, and you know how things go into, yeah, right. into favor and out of favor. And I never did that, and uh, the kit's gotten smaller. <clears throat> um, but... Um, I've always loved having a selection of symbols too, because I think more as a color person. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, my music degrees were were uh, composition, so I'm always thinking about, you know, scoring. Yeah, what is it right, like? What, what symbol crash sounds good with this vocal punch? So the more choices you have, the yeah. more sort of musical it can be. I, I, I think, think so. In the for way. me, for me, yes, yeah. yeah. So um, you're a teacher. You've been teaching for quite a while. How how did that transition go between uh, like say, when did that start? When you're, you've obviously always toured with Sawyer Brown and still are to this day. How did the teaching thing come about? Well, I I was teaching. Um, I was I was we were playing, we were touring, and then around whatever it would be, uh, two thousand, um, yeah, about two thousand, the business started to kind of slow down. Yeah, as it did across everywhere in Nashville, and. I had a lot of extra time, and I was working with a couple of three nonprofit groups, mm. preservation groups, and we were doing uh, various kinds of preservation of land, and <clears throat> spent a lot of time doing that. And I, 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 you know, ended up on two or three board of directors, and was enjoying that. 
And and then I kind of thought, you know, I'd really like to get back. When I was younger, I taught. I taught when I was in college, um, Saturday mornings at a music store, you know, mm, at see. my house. Doing private lessons. Yeah, private lessons. And I always, my grandmother was a teacher. Everybody in the band really had parents that were teachers. So we always thought if we didn't make it as a band, we could make it, you know, make a school going. Yeah. So, um, so I always knew I'd be a teacher, I suppose, but I didn't know I'd be like 45 years old when I started. Yeah. So I, I got a call and uh, it was from uh, this academy, Brentwood Academy here in Nashville in Brentwood. And they're sixth grade through 12th grade. And they said, hey, uh, we absolutely want you to come in, talk to us, and we'll work around your schedule because we know you tour. So it was wonderful. I mean, um, uh, if I wasn't there, it's a team teaching thing. So I'm the percussion teacher, but there's a upper brass teacher, a lower brass teacher, and a woodwind teacher. So hmm. my guys go in, or girls go in with another teacher. So we cover for each other. Somebody's got a session. Somebody's got a you know out of town gig. That's cool. Whatever. And and so it's always worked out that way. And for me, it didn't start off as a lot of money, but it was so edifying to go, hey, I've spent my whole life amassing all this knowledge, mm -hmm. and now I get to give some of it back. That's great. You know, I, I don't yeah. have to die and write a, write a book and then die or whatever. Yeah. And so I really feel like, now, are all of my students going to be professionals? No. But I try to get them to think like, Think about it physically. Think about it artistically. Yeah. You know, think about it choices. What kind of choice? Think about it as time management. Yeah. And they didn't have a marching band, so that was another plus why I went right. to school. Right. You don't have to teach Right. You have to do that oh, marching God. thing. So, so we do all concert percussion there. So I teach xylophone, timpani, bells, you know, all the wow. small instruments. And uh, we have ensembles, percussion groups. And, you know, we do some African stuff. We do some... Uh, 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 concert hall kind of stuff and there's no marching band so that is completely out of the realm yeah. so it's kind of fun and it allows me to wear a different hat mm -hmm. it keeps me fresh when i go out on the road i'm fresh to play yeah when i'm in teaching you know i i get to you know wear a different hat and it's been wonderful i mean i i, I don't think i would be the same person today if i hadn't started the school like 19 years ago Wow. Yeah. Do you um, enjoy that moment? And what's one not to enjoy about it? But do you enjoy that moment where there's that, that little bit of spark when you have your, say you're teaching somebody something and they all of a sudden get it, you know, they're just like, oh, oh, okay. Absolutely. And, and it's just that yeah. spark. Absolutely. Or just somebody physically that you go, you know, when you, in, you think back to August, you couldn't do this. Yeah. And they go, they give you a sheepish grin and go, you're right. Yeah. You know, and right. you, you show a kid that maybe, doesn't have a lot of physical confidence right suddenly they're good at something yeah and it's like you see them just grin and it's yeah. like so there's a there's a there's that kind of payback you yeah. know and uh you know honestly when i started i kind of wondered you know you can get labeled you're a teacher so mm -hmm. you're not a player yeah and i i, I kind of got that in my brain and i went you know i can't think that way yeah. I can't think that way because, first of all, it doesn't matter uh -huh. to me. I got a gig. Yeah. I got a gig. Right. And when I looked at, okay, I have to work this much time in the school to make this much tour money, but, you know, this much school money keeps me from playing a bunch of stupid uh, smoke-filled clubs. Uh, right, You know, yeah. gigs you don't want to do. And sure. I'm like, that makes total financial sense yeah but it's really more than the finance it's more it's an integral thing yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's really about succeeding with kids and uh and it's just been a great it's been a great thing and i think that that i've always you know talked about you know when when it comes to teaching and young people i've always tried to teach things that they don't teach in bands you know because i'm a professional out on the road and i've learned the hard way different things like playing with the click and programming a drum machine and how to how does a sound check go you know a lot of people don't know that you start with the kick drum and you get the and then you pass it around and that kind of thing just those things that that people don't little tricks and things that people don't know absolutely and i tell people you know like the first time you study an instrument, whether it's drum set or timpani or whatever, in that first year or two, that first teacher, you get 95% of what you need to know. Yeah. 
to do that. But then when you go to another teacher, you get that other 5%, the magic, yeah. the sizzle, the smoke and mirrors, mm-hmm. that stuff like you're talking about. In the, between the gaps yeah, that you missed from yeah, the first absolutely. teacher. Yeah. In fact, I did it, my first drum clinic I ever did, I did exactly what you say. I, I said, here were the holes. When I moved to Nashville, here were the holes. I had an amazing drum set education, amazing teacher. But here were where, where the holes were. Yeah. Playing louder. Yeah. You know, playing heavier, you yeah. know, with more attitude. Uh, just things that I was like, I didn't get this. Yeah. You know, uh, Kenny Aronoff is a guy that, you know, grew up studying timpani. Yeah. And I just finished stuff. listening to his audio yeah. book. That yeah. was really amazing. Oh, well, we got to hear it. I got to oh, check it's really that out. good. But, you know, he plays like, okay, you know, here's where it is. You yeah. Know, he's he's going to run the show. And that's just so awesome. And But, you know, he grew up doing something totally different. Yeah. He has an amazing work ethic. I mean, Kenny. Yes. Matter of fact, they, um, uh, the people that he used to work with back, you know, when he was doing the John Cougar stuff and then also doing other things, they, they had a nickname for him. And it was, Can He Earn Enough? <laughs> Because he was always jetting off to go do a session somewhere or filling in for somebody know, or whatever. When it was to be a day off, he's like, no, I'm not having a day off. I'm going to work. I've known Kenny for a long time. First time he came to Nashville, he did a clinic, and he gave me his card. And, uh, you know, we, we stayed in touch. And uh, 10 years go by, say, and we're getting off a plane, changing flights in St. Louis. And we get out of one gate and running across the concourse to the other gate. He gets off a plane. He's headed to another gate. We run into each other. And uh, he said, hey, how you doing? You know, and everything we meet. And he says, uh, how long have we se- since we've seen each other? And I said, well, it's been like 10 years, Kenny. And I said, in fact, I said, the last time we met, you looked at me and said, hey, if I move to Nashville, do you think I'd get any work? <laughs> That's how long ago it was. And he, he, he put oh his head God. down. He put his head down and smiled. And he said, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? You know, and he's like, "Now, yeah, flying all over the world, I playing." Know, but God. could I get any work? If I could I get any work if I went in? Yeah, yeah. He's um, my little short connection with Kenny Arnoff is we we were doing a session with Lone Star at Blackbird Studios here in Nashville, yes. and they said, "Well, see, I don't do the cartridge thing. I set up my own drums. I'm kind of the old fashioned. I, I drive them up there, set them up, and everything. And the night before, usually, and then I'll come in the next morning and we'll get sounds." Um, so I was coming in and they said, you can get in about mm, 11 PM. I think they're doing a session with, um, I can't remember who it was, but Kenny Arnoff was playing. Right. And, uh, so I got there and they said, Oh, you just missed Kenny Arnoff. He just got through playing and he's already left, but his kit's still there. The, the cartridge company's going to come move it in a second. And I went in there and there was like sawdust everywhere. It was like shrapnel <laughs> right. from the stick. They was like, yeah. yep, that's probably Kenny, Kenny Arnoff was here. Yep. Yep. Good man. It was uh, Jake Owen. I think Jake Owen had just recorded an album and Kenny Arnoff had played on it, you know, and uh, this nice. was back when th- that was taking place. I don't know, 2007 or six or something like that, I think, right. or something like that. Anyway, um, but so um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was practice routines. Um, now, maybe compare what your practice routines would have been, say, in college and what they are now. Obviously, you still practice, right? I do, you know. Um there was a point in time where I didn't, you know, eventually you're traveling all the time, mm-hmm. but I would still try to have a pad, you know, have sure. a pad backstage, um, really for warming up and things like that. Um, I try to spend a lot of time at home on a pad. If I can get on it each day, it's, it's great. And I'm always working on new stuff. Um, every year I'll go back through on a drum pad. I'll go back through the stick control book. Yeah, right. I'll do uh, the Wilcoxon something uh, Stone stick control. Is it? Yeah, yeah. George, what is it? George, George, George Stone. Stone. Yeah, George Stone um, stick control. Just combinations of rights and lefts, and then I'll do uh, some rudimental snare drum books. The last two years, I've been digging in maybe three during COVID. Whatever you say, add a year to it. Like, right. Okay. In the last two years, three years. <laughs> last two years, um, uh, I've been researching and learning, teaching myself to play. French rudimental snare. French rudimental snare. Now, and, how is that different? Well, it's a whole new world. This whole new rudiments, this whole new stickings that you would never in your life have ever played. Really? So it's like it's like landing on another planet and learning to go to the grocery store. 
I mean, it's like like five on the left and oh, yeah, four on yeah, the right. Yeah. And it's very ornate. There's stuff that's based in fives well, oh, and right, sevens, okay. wow. which is crazy. And uh, so I found some books. I've done a lot of research. I've been online in the middle of the night with the French National Library, oh, looking wow. at stuff from 1800 and 1700. Oh and I've downloaded a bunch of stuff. I've, I've become friends on Facebook with a few French drummers that have shared some stuff with yeah. me. And and uh, it's it's amazing stuff. There's a few people in the US that are doing it, but they're few and far between. And the, the books you buy are wildly expensive. They're all about $65 wow. shipped in from France. Wow. And then you have to translate them. Right. So, but, but it's been, you know, for me, it's something new. I'm always yeah, like, I'm, I'm right. like a lifelong learner. Do so you, always do you roll any of that into your students at all? Do you kind of make them aware of it? Or are you still kind of teaching well, them the basic? You don't want to confuse them, right? Yeah, I don't want to confuse <laughs> them too much. You know, I would love to teach what I know about that because, I, you know, the other thing is I sent my old drum set teacher, the one, Dom Moyo, that, is at Arizona State. Um, I I bought a book and sent it to him and said, "Listen, you've got to get into this because I don't have anybody to talk to about it." <laughs> so teach, I could uh, teach you, and then we could hang out and hey, talk about French drumming, and we could spread the word. <laughs> we French, could spread the word. It's French a, rudiments. Yeah, it's like it's a very lonely club. <laughs> In France, it's big, yeah. but but I here. love I love being a lifelong learner, and uh, you know I, I don't sit down with new drum set books so much but uh, I love you know exploring Latin music different rhythms things that you know things I can't do I want to learn to do yeah so I'm still doing that you know I just realized something as we're sitting here talking about the French stuff that the drummer with Dallas that band Dallas yep. well they used to be called Backstreet Backstreet absolutely you know this is not Backstreet Boys but it right. was just called Backstreet and they changed their name to Boyfriend and yes, then they did and then they had another drum but the Pat Hat was the drummer that played with the original Backstreet, and he was from France. Wow. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, he was go. really good. We actually roomed together for a while. I was renting a house uh, back in the mid-'80s, 84, or 5, something like that. And um, I met him at the club you know, that we're playing at, the Backstreet. And I would go see them on Sunday and Monday when we weren't playing Yes. We'd do Tuesday through Saturday, and then Sunday Monday we'd always go to the Railhead, Railhead and watch. That, yeah, watch. We Back saw Street. him at the Railhead. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. That's that was a place. great place. Oh great my god. Place. Yep. And uh, I would we would go see Backstreet, and it was just like we would just nurture a beer all night long and watch that band. Yeah. You know that. And yes. Pat Hat was the drummer in that band, nice. and and he, we, he and I became friends and ended up rooming together for a little while, um, and shared a, a practice kit and all that kind of stuff. But he was just on another level. Very I mean, nice. he was just like yeah. really amazing. Yeah. So I mostly I mostly stay on the drum pad. I don't do a lot of practice behind the kit, um, but um, uh, you know I, I'm still pushing the pushing the walls out when oh, I yeah? can. Yeah, when I can. That's cool. Um, I always teach my students that you know practicing on pads is fine. You know, like a like electronic kit or something like that. But nothing beats the real thing. You right. know, you, you just can't practice all your life on pads if you live in an apartment or something like that, and then just move on to a full kit and kick butt. You know. Yep. Yep. Now, the, the, some drum pads are getting more drum-like. Yeah, the, right. The technology has gotten pretty good. And, uh, I mean, I don't have an electronic kit at this moment, but I've had them in the past, and, and they're fun. Yeah. They're fun, you know. But the way a drum sounds when you hit it with a stick, a real drum, yep. is totally different than... It's like plucking a string. It, there's a reaction there and, yep. and a, a natural sound that you need yes. to learn. That Absolutely. You have to get down. And getting your touch together yeah, what it right. sounds like dynamics and things yeah, like that absolutely yeah. um so i try to i practice things like you know I, I i'm a big random kind of thing once i when i was younger once i learned how to start hitting things at random like kick kick floor tom second tom snare snare kick 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 and just do this random and i tried to do it in rhythm and then pretty soon my mind just went i started absolutely. going wow you know and yeah. then my solos got better and that kind so, of stuff. yeah the possibilities are endless yeah yeah it's just amazing and i could speed that up you know i'd practice real slow and i could do these really cool tommy aldrich kind of like <laughs> kind of things you yeah. know but uh so practice routines um so, so the teaching and the touring well i know we already talked about that but i wanted to ask how you sort of balance that uh you, you say you've got an agreement with the school that yeah pretty much if i'm gone my students end up with one of the other music teachers uh i do have a sub that i use some early in the year when when people need a lot of attention and uh you know we we rehearse as sections of the band so i have all the percussion in the band room and i've got a big office that you could rehearse in that's huge and um 
Then when everybody's rehearsed their sections, we put the whole band together and then we do the whole rehearsal. So it's yeah. great, you know, it's a great way to teach. I can spend three days on tambourine. I can spend three days on triangle. Really? I can spend a week on timpani. And a band director can't stop for five minutes oh, yeah. and say, band, shut up. I'm going to show Keith right, how to play I see. triangle. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, so it's a, beautiful way to, it's a beautiful way to teach kids. Yeah. So it's a team teaching approach. And it's Boy, wonderful. when it comes to tambourine, I never knew anything, but I heard on a record one time, someone went, did that shake where you hit it at the end. Yep. That sort of ran. And uh, once I mastered that, I was, I was like, <laughs> yes, like that. Yeah. That was yeah. so cool. So that's the kind of stuff you teach is like the. Lots of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Techniques and things like that. Yep. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your family. Um, you're a family guy. You've had kids and they're. Like you talk, we were talking earlier. They're up in Maine most of the time when you were coming up yep. through Sawyer Brown, and y'all were really, really busy. And you had to somehow make that work. Yeah, we we were we were, had a great situation because all of our kids in the early days traveled with us. Mm -hmm. So when you know, so like you know, my son was four years old getting on a you know, tour bus. How did that work? Where did they? Where's everybody sleep? Well, we we had room. We we always had a couple of buses at, at the least, and sometimes you know, up to five or six buses, maybe wow. five. And, and, uh, but so there was always room and, uh, you know, I'd have one or, or, or the other or both of them, my son and daughter. Uh, and then my youngest son, when he came along, he wasn't interested in it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of okay, uh, for him not to do that. Um, but, uh, it was wonderful. Cause like m my oldest son, you know, he was on winter break and I said, Hey, uh, Mark, our singer, said, we're going up and do this run up in the Canadian Maritimes, and we're using, you know, the crew's on a bus, and we're, we're using a, a Learjet, and there's a sixth seat. Does your son want to yeah. go? So my son's, you know, 12 years old flying around on a Learjet wow. in Nova Scotia, and I'm like, dude, you're a rock star. <laughs> yeah, don't get used <laughs> no, to it. <laughs> don't get used to this. Um, but, you know, they had a interesting upbringings, and, you know, if you're a kid, what you know is what you know. I mean, yeah. that's normal. That's yeah. normalcy. That your dad's, you know, if I was gone, I might be gone. I mean, we would go for 60 day yeah. tours sometimes. Yeah. That's crazy. And, but when we came back, we were back. You yeah. Know, I had nowhere to be but with my kids. What would so it have been like with the kids out on tour with you? And, and I know they're different age ranges and stuff like that. Say if they were like, nine or ten years old or something like that where they're kind of interested but they're kind of not you know but what would a typical day be like for for you know well, sound check out, and hang out at the, at the at the hotel go to a museum go to a park see what's going on come to sound check the kids were all in awe of the show yeah so they're all at the side of the stage the whole show and then afterwards you know put them on the bus and head to the next town so, oh, wow. so we said we had a sawyer brown nursery school Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, all right. The, all the kids were young and doing that together. Yeah, I just that would be yeah. such a great upbringing to have you know kids of the band like friends, other people's kids of yes. all to like a big family and yeah. just hanging out yeah. back there and getting. Yeah, that was kind of a neat thing. What is your your oldest son? The one you said that was kind of interested in it. Uh, what does he do now? Well, he was he 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 became a drummer. Oh, and was a fine drummer. I didn't teach him. Yeah, but he studied with my teacher's teacher, and was doing very well. And uh, had a high school band, played in the high school band and stuff. Did marching band, played marimba in marching band. Uh, wow. Could have been a great snare drummer, but he was like more into the melody. Yeah, right. You know, okay. He wanted to play melody. So he played marimba. And he got out of high school, went to college, became a teacher, um, and uh, kind of let it go. But I think he could jump in at any time and yeah. get back into it. And be pretty, pretty. So we can converse, yeah, because he's had some drums. Speak the same yeah, language right, and that absolutely, kind of thing. Yeah. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit. Talk about session work a little bit. Do you do? You know, I mean, you teach and you play and all that. Do you do much session work, or is that kind of too much? I've for done you? a little, a little bit. It wouldn't be something I could <clears throat> make a living at, right? But where you know my favorite session work was was that honestly percussion yeah. session work. Uh huh rather than drum set. And I, I worked with a couple of guys in town. Um, one was uh, Robert Reynolds, who was uh, Trisha's ex-husband. Okay, right. Who played yeah. bass in the Mavericks. And Scotty Huff, who was a good buddy of mine from back home. And he was um, played guitar with uh, the first Keith Urban band. Okay, yep. And they had a contract with Scholastic Books. And they did soundtracks for long-form cartoons. Okay, right. 
they would take a book and make the whole book into a cartoon. Really? And so we did the soundtracks. And it might be, I might come in and there might be no written music. Uh-huh. And I had to build up a, a hip-hop beat with Chinese gongs oh, yeah, right. and cymbals and stuff wow. on a table with knitting needles. Yeah. And, and do something like that. And then it might be a 20-page chart playing drum set. Yeah. You know, playing uh, Swing and Dixieland yeah. or something. Did you do that in your own studio at home or was it somewhere? We'd do it in Nashville in various studios. Yeah. And and that was creative because it was great for reading. Yeah. It was great for improvising, mm-hmm. coming up with sounds, you know, because you have to have, have, you know, trunks of sounds. Yeah, right. And bring, you know, all of your tambourines, all of your cowbells, all of your gongs and, and put it together in the studio. And so that was, that, that was very creative and fun. Um, uh, not too much before COVID, I did a Brazilian thing, and it was four percussionists in a room with all their Brazilian gear. Really? Surdos, big big floor toms. Oh, man. Brazilian floor toms, bass drums. Cajon, pic- uh, not Cajon, what are the... Piccolo uh, snare drums. Yeah. bass and Piccolo stuff. Piccolo snare drums. Wow. Uh, uh, Pandeiros, and, and just had all these cues written out, and it was all music you would hear like behind a soccer match okay right or, yeah, you know right. or something you know big things with like bass drops and crazy wow, wild things neat. and we were sight reading it all press press recording be wow. stuff and it was like wow and you go you know what i read better than i remember <laughs> but it was you know really a lot of uh so those things are, are fun to me now they're not every day of the week yeah, you know, that's more special things, but but those things have always been fun. What to a me. surprise! I had no idea that, that that you had done that, that you had done the whole percussion uh, session thing. I, when I went to grad school, I was a double major at Miami. I did the percussion and uh, composition, so <clears throat> I did a recital and I had to have write a lot of music. But when I was in Miami for two years, I basically packed my drums away. Yeah. And I'd go play timpani with an orchestra, go play crash cymbals, go play xylophone, huh. and get paid well, get paid for rehearsals. Wow. And uh, I was going to move to Nashville, and I was like, I think I'm going to have to dust off my drums. <laughs> I <laughs> right. think I'm going to have to dust off my drums. So, um, so yeah, so I got back into doing it. And, and it was good I took a break, because <clears throat> I'd worked so much from the age of 14 to 22. I mean, I think I went, Eight years and never saw Saturday Night Live. All my friends right. are talking about. It, yeah, I worked every. I Saturday had the same night. experience. Yeah. Like from yeah. uh, when the Not Ready for Primetime players in the late '70s, and then when I started playing professionally in the early '80s, the whole Eddie Murphy thing, you know, all that stuff, and and all those those people that were in Saturday Night Live. I had no idea who they were. I didn't know people were like, oh yeah, you know, like Eddie Murphy. I'm Gumby, damn it, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I haven't seen Saturday Night Live in years. I did a couple of I did out, a couple of outdoor events, percussion events in the parks in uh, downtown Nashville, and of course I'm the oldest guy there, right? Right, because yeah, right. I'm crazy. But they're all like college age kids, and you know, a couple of them were graduating from Bandy, you know, and 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 I say, well, you know, how often do you play in town? And they say, well, you know, we play, I play two or three times a month, and I'm thinking back. When I was in college, I was playing two or three times a weekend. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. I mean, so the work has changed. In I mean, not to say it it shouldn't be discouraging, but yeah. I think you have to be a little more resourceful. Yeah. In today's world, to figure out what can I do to create work. Yeah. You know, how can I go into a coffee shop mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, we need to have like an acoustic." night yeah and i'm gonna right. play djembe or i'm gonna play cajon yeah. or i'm gonna i'm gonna have a little kit and we're gonna have some acoustic yeah. jazz or whatever uh, you know i think kids young people have to be a little more resourceful about what that future is going to be for them yeah yeah like paul lime was talking about having to reinvent yourself like in the 80s when everything was on a drum machine they had a total you know, saturation of like the Lindrum and things like that. He had to reinvent the way he played. He had to learn how to program a drum machine and learn how to play like a drum machine because that's kind of what they wanted. Right, right, yeah. And I think, you know, it it may change again. You know, we may see the the pendulum swing back, but, I, you know, the days of 
six-night-a-week lounge mm-hmm. jobs at the yeah. railhead in Dallas yeah. or club jobs yeah. were kind of gone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why we all moved to Nashville from Dallas. All the band Lone Star, all of us in Lone Star, we were, we were in the Dallas market playing all different clubs and things. And in the early 90s when the Garth thing started, um, the whole club nightclub business around Dallas, if you remember, uh, kind of dried up. Be- well, the live live music business because they started hiring DJs to play right, all this right, fun- funky absolutely. dance music. And they realized, hmm, we could just pay a DJ one time, you know, one person, and then keep that dance floor packed instead of hiring a whole band and having to worry about, you know, are they going to be any good, all these musicians. So everybody kind of migrated to Nashville trying to get a record deal. Absolutely. Well, you know, David Bowie once, it was in the 90s, and uh, there was a gentleman in town, a percussionist, and uh, Tom Rohde, uh-huh. if you remember Tom Rohde's name, and he's passed away now. But Tom, I, I ran into him at the Guitar Center out in the parking lot, and we were talking, and he said, I've got to send you by email this David Bowie quote out of the New York Times. Right. And this was in the 90s, 30 years ago. Wow. And he was getting ready to go back on tour for the first time in like 12 years or something. And New York Times was interviewing him. And he said, I'll paraphrase it, he said, in the future, music will come into our homes and our lives as seamlessly and as unseen as water and electricity. Right. And the only way to make a living in the music business will be able, will be to recreate the primitive ritual of performance. Right, okay. And so he nailed streaming music right. on the internet yeah. before it happened. All right. He saw that. Yeah, you can put it on Spotify, and yeah. boom, you got music. It's all free, yeah. and you just you like keep it going. But people will still pay to see live live music being right. played, and yeah. I think that will always be true. Yeah, because there's a magic there, you know that 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 doesn't exist otherwise. Right, we call it putting butts in seats. There you go. I mean, you got to put butts in seats. You got to yeah. figure out what yeah. those people are willing to leave the house and pay a ticket price and all that and go sit and wait and all that and like what are they going to you know what's going to impress them well and, and now you know all the tribute bands are getting so popular as the 60s bands are retiring yeah or dying off you know you got journey bands and mm-hmm. acdc bands and you got you know everybody and people are making nice livings yeah doing that yeah, that's and amazing. That's, that's cool. That's fine. Yeah. Why not? It's, it's like one of the first times in history that being a cover band is actually you could like work full time and make a decent living. <laughs> so, almost so as much as an artist. Cert- it's coming around. <laughs> it's circling around. Yeah. And I think part of it is because a cover band nowadays is really expected to sound just like the record, whereas the original artist, they kind of take the liberty to kind of change it a little bit and they don't really sound like the record. They try to change their songs because they're bored, right? Right, sure. They're bored of doing it the same way. So, what kind of advice would you have for? a young drummer or a musician, but I'm, I try to focus more on drummers coming up in the world of professional music and, uh, make, trying to make a living and that kind of thing. What would be your best advice? What kind of mistake did you learn along the way that you could pass along to our, well, one thing, (laughs) no, um, I would say, um, be as, be as good of a player as you can be. And sometimes if you're playing in your bedroom or in your garage, and you think you're amazing, and maybe you are, there'll be spots, blind spots, mm-hmm. things that you're not good at. Maybe a shuffle. Yeah. Or, uh, you know... Uh, Your weakness. Like right, things yeah, that you need things to work that on. You don't, you don't even know you're not good at because you never do it. Yeah. You, when you sit behind a drum kit, you play the things that, that make you happy and fun, mm-hmm. which is stuff you know really well. Yeah. You know, you don't sit there and go, oh, gosh, I can't do this. Let me do it for an hour. Because yeah. you know, it doesn't feel good. You know, it's like hitting yourself with a hammer. <laughs> Why do that for an hour? Because right. so, <laughs> um, it feels so good when I stop. When I stop, <laughs> yeah. So so try to, and that might be, if you don't have a teacher, which everybody should have a teacher. Right. I mean, go to somebody that knows more than you. You learn how to play chess by playing somebody who knows more about chess than right. you. So have a teacher. If and then a teacher will tell you where your blind spots are, where the spots are you need to beef up and get better at. So now you're, you're a great player. Play with as many people in as many situations as you can. 
if you make money, great. If it's free, great. But right. do it. I mean, I remember being a kid and playing like a Friday night at a dance for people my parents' age. And it was the, the band was led by a drunk saxophone player. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I want to be anywhere but here right now. Yeah. But you learn something. Mm -hmm. At any one of them, know how, how good the gig is or how bad the gig is, you learn something. Yeah. And then... You played with a bunch of people. You're resilient. You're 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 able to 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 morph and fit different situations. Then when you get a call or you get your foot in the door and can go do an audition or go say, hey, you know, uh, our drummers have an operation. We come in and play this weekend with us. Yeah. You can go in and wow somebody. Yeah. You know, and say and say, yeah, you know. We're going to use you. Yeah. You know, we're going to, we want to hire you. So, so, you know, being ready when the occasion hits and then just doing everything, you know, show up early. Yeah, you sure. Know, I remember uh, uh, the drummer for uh, Sticks uh -huh. uh, saying in his clinic, uh, he got a chance to sub on a, like a rehearsal night. Mm -hmm. The drummer wasn't going to be there for a rehearsal. And he said, we, go, we come and the warehouse and play. He showed up early, had his drums set up, and then helped the band move their guitars and amps in. Wow. So he yeah. was like, they're like, wow, this is unusual. The drummer's helping right. us move. Yeah. So, you know, and he right. got the gig. You know, and he got the gig. You're like, either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. I right? love that. So, so be just, part of the solution. Yes, be the person that, that, oh, we he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. That and being a team player. Yeah. It, you know, music, you have to have some amount of ego to play music. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. And then to sell yourself, you have to have more ego. Yeah. And I'm not great at selling myself. I'm not a, I'm not, hey, you got to listen to me kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but you have to be confident. And so there's got to be some ego there. But then you have to, like, put that all aside. Yeah. You know, if the bass player looks at you and says, oh, man, you're Russian. Yeah. If he's 10 years older than you and you respect him as a player... You gotta listen to it. Yeah, he might he right. might be right and he might be wrong, but you at least have to go and 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 suss it out. Yeah, and decide. So, question: um, Being a band member like you and I are, mm -hmm. um, what are, what would you say the pros of being a band member? Now, I'm gonna and the next question I'm gonna ask you is being a side guy, just a you know, just a, a drummer with an artist. Let's say, um, what would you say the pluses of being in the band uh, would be? Some of them are obvious, you know, money well, and things like that. Yeah, you know, I think there's good and bad in both of them. Um, um, you know, when you're when you're a side man, sometimes you can cut and run. You know, yeah. if if uh, times get lean, yeah. you know, or there's a few month period where there's no gigs. You can go and do something. There's else. a certain amount of freedom there yes. that you have. That you know, when choice. you're in a band, it's it's a it's a group effort. It's a group project. You know, and and uh, it's like being married versus being single. I think, right? It is. There's some amount of that, and you know, you got to take bad times with good. You know, yeah. there may be times when there's no work. You know, uh, and you got to suck it up and and go. Well, we got to do this. You know, that that when a band starts out. The quickest way for them to break up is to not have work, right? Because then right. everybody's going, "Oh, well, I'm going to go go to work for Keach." They start looking you know, at yeah, other opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so staying working—that's the thing that probably kept us together more than anything. Mm -hmm. We worked, you know, 315. Then we had two years in a row that were 248 yeah. nights wow. a year, and we just worked constantly and refused to go away. They said, "Well, how did you?" What, how'd you get successful? Well, we just refused to go away. When people yeah. said, go away, mm -hmm. go away, we, we just never would. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, it's a different mindset. You got to put your ego aside and just go, hey, this is a team effort. Uh, the, the whole is greater than the parts. Yeah. I'd never have a record deal on my own. Right. I'd never be playing big shows on my own. But part of this other thing, you know, it's magic. Yeah. And that's what, you know, you found the same thing. And, uh, you know, take the band serious, but don't take yourself serious. Right. Okay, that's, you know, that's we, good we advice. We cut yeah. up with each other. Right. You know, there's never a ton of, of, of uh, compliments. 
they go around. Right. You know, yeah. we never get on the bus and go, "Hey, kids, you played amazing yeah, you tonight. Played Dude, tonight. You played yeah. great tonight. You never hear that. But if you screwed up, <laughs> yeah, guys are saying, what was hey, that? Kids, what was when you counted off that wrong tune and I started the wrong, you know, yeah. and, but you know, that's, but we laugh it off. Yeah. You know, of nothing, you know, we don't record the band and listen the next out in the bus afterwards and go, okay, you did this wrong. You did yeah. this wrong. You know, it's, it's done and over, yeah. you know? And, uh, and so there, it's, a there's a responsibility as a band member, I think mm -hmm. that you you want to be where you need to be. Yeah. You want to be healthy. Yeah. You know, uh, you can't stay out all night yeah. and look play. good for the album covers. Yep. I think you there's a certain play, bit yeah. of that. You can't play. Yep. You can't play well if you've been out all night. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we all have a, a you know, a, a, a thing that we have to do to be show up and be ready to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I always in the early in the Canyon days, one of the things I didn't like about being in the band being, a band member was all the free thing all the free freebies you have to do like fanfare we didn't get paid for that yeah that's a whole week of that's hard work signing autographs all day long and then most people would just love the chance to be a star and sign autographs and i love that people want my autograph and all that but after about eight hours of, of standing up or whatever signing and signing and signing and signing and signing that it kind of you're like what am i doing this for you know so yeah. but then it all paid off in the, it's, in the it, end it, it's investment it's yeah. all an investment you're right You'll be you'll be in a Walmart, you know, or a Target signing, you know, CDs or you know. We tell people we've been around so long. We had our first three records came out on eight track. Yeah, <laughs> so oh we my had god, eight that's true. Yeah. Oh so, my god. <laughs> but it's an investment, you know. Those moments and and every guy. You got five guys. You got one guy that's like, I totally get it as an investment. You get another guy that goes, I would be anywhere but this Walmart right, right now. Yeah. You know, so somehow you've got to come to a, a, yeah. a middle ground of this is important and we just you just need to suck it up and do it. Got to try to find yeah. the plus in everything, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe. You know, and maybe. I tell people, honestly, I've been on call 24-7 for 40 years. Yeah, right. That's you, true. You can plan Christmas. You can plan a vacation. And, you know, I, I, I plan to go to Ireland with my wife and, uh, and for the month before... We left. They were getting ready to schedule a, a video shoot in Florida, and every day the manager would call and say, "Hey, Keach, um, um, what are the dates? What's the date you leave for for Ireland?" And I'd go, "The same date I told you yesterday when you <laughs> called." And lo and behold, yeah. there was the the video the day before I flew, and the day I flew. Oh so, my gosh! And you just deal with it, you yeah. know. The band comes first. Yes. I hear you. So Always. what's the future for Sawyer Brown? What, are y'all going to just keep playing until you can't play anymore? Well, just before COVID, so one, two years ago, yeah. <laughs> two right, years I ago, um, uh, Mark kind of came, our singer came to each one of us and said, uh, hey, how long do you want to do this? And I said, well, I don't know. You talk to me. You start the conversation. You tell me. He said, I want to do this 14 more years. And I'm like. I'm good with that. He's going seriously now. You need a, another knee. I got a, I got one oh. knee replaced and one oh hip replaced, and uh, I need another knee at some point. I said, Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. And uh, he said, uh, He said, Well, 14 years, really? Would you do it that long? And I said, Listen, I would rather have this conversation than you saying, Hey, at the end of the summer, we're going to the house. Yeah, and we're right. done. Another year, and yeah. we're done. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So, wow, that's so great. you know, we're kind of still in it for the long haul. I mean, we've been in it for the long haul. I tell people, arguably, and somebody might have a, an exception, but I haven't really figured it yet. I might have the longest drum chair in Nashville. Right, in I think you're music. right. I don't think anybody's done it for 40 years. There's been some guys... In the that, same band. Yes. Right? Yeah. There's been people that have done it and, you know, and they got done. Yeah. But there's nobody currently that's still been doing it. I think it you hold that, that record. Yeah. So I I kind of, I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah. You know, I'm now the old guy. Wow. You know, I mean, I'm not the young guy anymore, but, and, uh, and it's a young man's game in many ways, but we've certainly kept doing it. Wow. You know, well, so. I'm right behind you. I'm you coming are. up on 30 years. Yes, yeah, so there you go. See, <laughs> so you're going you're to be there soon too. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, in in 24, I will be 30 years in yeah. 24 in, yeah. in two years. 
Yeah. So, wow. Neat. I'm, Congratulations. I'm up to you. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Man, this has been so great. And I have wanted to have you on my podcast ever since <laughs> I first started it. Well, we go way back. We do. I mean, I remember going to West Texas and playing clubs and them saying, well, you guys are good, but you're not Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go crazy like, here. <laughs> oh, man. Come on. Oh, Give us gosh. a break. So, no, but that's, uh, we've been, you know, we've been uh, orbiting. We We played. I remember a show that uh, we were at um, in Minnesota, and uh, what's the big show up there? Oh, the uh, Minnesota State Fair. No, or some four, kind four of days, thing. four days, the festival. Oh, um, in Minnesota? I can't think of what it and, is. And we got up in one of your semi-trucks, and you had just bought a kayak. Oh, I remember that, and, yeah. And you said, hey, you got to check out the boat I bought. <laughs> so I'm thinking it's a yacht, right? Because <laughs> Lone Star is pretty hot right now. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. he's bought a, a yacht. yacht. <laughs> and it's a, and he gets up, no, it's up here. I'm like, looking in, where is it? Oh, oh, it's, oh, I see. It's a kayak. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember cool. I had it hanging on carabiners up above our merch. Absolutely, uh, in our merch trailer. Yep, yeah, yeah. I don't forget. I don't forget much, and I remember doing that and going, "Wow, well, that's pretty cool." And that kayak, that very kayak, I still have it, and I gave it to my girlfriend, and she's a photographer, and she goes out every morning in the kayak and takes these wonderful pictures ah, of the lake, you know, I like love with it. a wide-angle lens. I love it. And that kayak has become famous in her pictures because you see the bow of it, the front of it, every single picture. Send know? me a picture. I, I want to see yeah. a picture. That's neat. Well, thank you so much, and uh, wish you much success out on the road and longevity and respect. What? And to you, too, and, and what a great thing, this podcast. I've already listened to several of them, and I'm going to be a hooked uh, listener now. You got it. You got it. But you come back anytime, and uh, maybe one day I'll have the whole Sawyer Brown group. In, oh, um, we'll, we'll do podcast. it again for sure. Cool. See you. Bye.